up, look at Foreigner. Foreigner made some of the greatest love songs in history, and there are a bunch of goblins. Like, <laughs> Journey? Have you seen what Steve Perry they... looked like in the 80s? Yeah, how, Steve Perry with that gigantic nose. Radio Drome. Welcome to another Thursday night. This is Radio Drome. I am v- the very annoying host, Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the equally annoying but somewhat more subdued host, Cecil. How am I annoying? What are you talking about? See, that kind of thing, that's annoying. <laughs> Shut up. And, and we have the alpha male himself, the steroid ape of Peter. Harumph. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. <laughs> what you guys need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. We're going to do a sequel tonight to an episode we did a couple of months ago of Things Hollywood Needs to Stop Doing. This is more things Hollywood needs to stop doing. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because we got a glimpse of the Frank Darbaugh Walking Dead emails this week. Did you guys see those? They're amazing. Uh, yeah. No. I'll I, be saw reading posts, a few... uh, I saw posts of them, but I haven't read them yet. I'll be reading a few of them on the air. It, it led me to kind of go, why do you hire someone like Frank Darbaugh and then undercut every single thing he's trying to do. So it got me thinking, wait a minute, that's something that Hollywood needs to stop doing. But before <laughs> we get before we get to that, what are some beefs that are not retreads of the previous episode that you have that Hollywood needs to knock off? The biggest one, I mean, it's something, it is a retread, it's, but I mean, it's still something that is just prevalent, is uh, the the really, really overuse of jump scares. I mean, I talk about it way too Bagul. much. Yeah, the Bagul. Well, that's more of the, the, <laughs> the final scare where the end. The the jump scares are just infuriating because they're they're beyond the point of being scary. It's like there was a time where you could infuse that and make it work. And now every time I see a horror movie and there's a jump scare, the almost always the reaction it gets is laughter. Like you'll get the initial <gasps> and then, <laughs> you know, everybody laughs at how stupid it was. And it just it doesn't have the impact, especially when you got a movie. Every other thing is a jump scare and you see them coming a mile away. That's that still is is my my number one. And it is a retread, but it's a retread because that one is the biggest thing that they need to stop. Or at the very least, just knock it off. Don't do it so much. Maybe do it once or twice in a movie. Don't do it every five minutes. Also, I'd like to add on to that, you need to stop telegraphing jump scares, legitimate or not. I can't even count how many movies in the last 10 years where you go, there's a jump scare coming in, three, two, boom. You can just tell the way they're set up, like, all of a sudden, one character, it's a widescreen frame, one character is smushed to the side, and there's all this empty space, the zombie's gonna jump out right there. I've seen that, so, it's so lazy. You're just telegraphing well, a jump scare. The biggest one, then they do it 
time and time again is the look in the mirror. You know, they yeah. go to the, open the mirror go, and then you open, shut it again. And then there's something behind them and then they turn around and it's not there. And it's like, oh my God, are we still doing this? That's the one thing. As much as I hated uh, Jason Goes to Hell, they kind of played to it like they were going to do that at the opening scene where he's tracking down that like FBI agent chick. She's in the bathroom. She's in front of the mirror. She opens it. She closes it. There's nothing behind her at all. They just play the scene off. And then he attacks her at a completely random moment afterward. So if there's any uh, credit I can give to that movie, it would be that. They didn't pull the uh, the mirror jump scare, at least. But everything else sucked shit. I mean, and this is kind of maybe a, a sort of new thing, um, unless you want to count like the 50s universal stuff, but extended universes. It seems like everything needs to be an extended universe now. I mean, including fucking movies that aren't even doing well, like the new universal monster movies, like, you know, Dracula Untold is, is considered like not even canon anymore. Victor Frankenstein bombed. The mummy bombed. But they're still trying to do this whole thing. Oh, Russell Crowe is going to be Dr. Jekyll. And, of course, they're trying to do it with God, with uh, Godzilla and King Kong now. And at the end of Kong Skull Island, now it's like, oh, there's going to be all these different uh, mashups. Godzilla and King Kong. That's kind of it's kind of interesting. But it seems like everybody is trying to ape what uh, Marvel is doing. And that, to me, makes sense. If you're – for the whole comic book thing – it's sort of the only way to make it work thematically because there's so many characters to touch on. You kind of have to make it a, a sequel franchise in a way. But to do it for everything to me seems seems a bit silly at this point. It seems like everything that comes out, I'm half expecting it to become an extended universe franchise. See, the way you do that properly, remember Elmore Leonard has been doing that since the late 80s. You know, Jackie Brown and out of sight, Michael Keaton's playing the same character. Yeah. The, the, the couple of the characters in Jackie Brown are in one of the independent films made in the late 80s. Raylan Givens from the TV series Just Elmore Leonard has this whole cinematic universe that even goes over to television. Nobody ever talks about that. Elmore Leonard's been doing this for a long time, people. You even have the weird ones. Now, I, I know Michael Bay didn't do this in his later films, but remember, The Rock and Armageddon have the same president and the same chief of staff. Those are sequels. <laughs> a lot of people forget Armageddon is a sequel to The Rock, technically. Yeah, sort of. But that's sort of an interesting way to do it, where it just sort of takes place in the same universe. It's not necessarily like a franchise. Like even uh, Basket Case and Frankenhooker take place in the same universe, but it's done through maybe one character interaction or a, or a background character or something like that. That's fun. That's a nice little play on, hey, you know, I remember that, instead of flat out starting from one movie and demanding everybody to just allow, uh, okay, this is going to be an extended universe series now. You're going to accept it, whether or not this is even fucking done well in theaters yet. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Like, everybody is uh, expecting to be the next Marvel Studios now. And to be fair, as you pointed out, Universal did this in the 30s. So Universal yeah. started this 90 years ago. And it worked. It worked back then. Like, why do they have to try it again? I mean, they already did it. They were the they were the people that kind of paved the way for it. And now they're just making themselves look bad. 
And I'm then, with you, man. I think the, uh, like Marvel and DC are the only ones that really make the most sense. Yeah. Because they're keeping, I mean, cause all of those, they do exist in that universe. So it makes sense that they would do the movie version of that and keep them all within universe. That makes yeah. you know, the most sense. Universal, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it because they were the ones who did more or less in start theory, that whole thing. It could work, Cecil. It just hasn't in practice. Well, that's yeah. the thing. They need to stop, like, like, when they put out Dracula Untold, they were like, this is going to be the start. And then that flopped. And so then they they followed that up, you know, and they, they just kept doing it. And finally, they were like, all right, the mummy, we're going all in. We're doing it. We got Tom Cruise. We got all this money. We're doing it. Okay, fine. But you should have stuck with it with Dracula Untold. If Dracula Untold was the beginning and it flopped, you know, you should have just kind of barreled through with it and maybe, you know, tried and maybe it would have caught on instead of just, oh, that didn't work. Let's restart it. Oh, that didn't work. Let's restart it it's just all it does is just leave them with more and more egg on their face and more and more times where people are like maybe you should stop worrying about extended universes and maybe pay your screenwriters or something a little bit more so we don't get what the mummy ended up being the mummy was just a bore fest and it's like this is the big start like at least iron man and i know I know, Josh, you don't like it, but Man of Steel, I thought that they were both very good starts. The Mummy, it's like, okay, here's your big beginning, and halfway through the movie, I'm like, oh my god, I don't care about any of this. <laughs> Russell Crowe Crow was the only thing I cared about in that, because I'm not sure if it's possible for Russell Crowe to not be charismatic as hell. But him, uh, as I, I think I said this before, but in The the Mummy, when they got to the Russell Crowe part, and, he, and I'm like, I want this movie. I I want the movie about him. Like I don't. And then they went back to Tom Cruise, and I'm like, no, well, no, because, go, go because back to Russell Crowe. Because Russell Crowe is the linking character. He's the character that's going to be in all of. I know, but then they should have started he, with he, him. He's their Nick Fury. One of my biggest ones is quick cut editing. When mm. especially when it comes to fight scenes, if you have to make quick cut fight scenes, then you need to hire better actors that know how to fight. This will also dovetail into my next thing is. You need to stop hiring pretty boy actors for action movies if they can't do the action. Yeah. For instance, Iron Fist. Not only was that actor just boring as sin as Danny Rand, but he clearly could not fake fight on camera. There's that famous example that's been going around the internet where a completely, when I say unedited, I mean the reviewers did not edit it. It's a 27 second fight scene with 36 edits in it. That means your actor does not know how to fake fight. Stop hiring pretty boys for action movies if they can't fight. When there is that many edits, you literally get whiplash. That is more than an edit a second. How do you expect me to give a shit? Or be able to pay attention or figure out what's going on. Like, there are so many movies like that where they do the quick edits, the end. And it's like, I, the, the Bourne movies. It's like the Taken I, movies. I have no, well, I thought Taken 1, I thought they did a decent job with it. The Taken movies that, are very edit heavy for but fights. But not, but more so with the, with the sequels. I thought the first one was okay, but it was just infuriating. And there, here's a good example of doing edits properly. Baby Driver, I was excited because we were actually seeing car chases, action sequences where you could follow them. Like there wasn't eight zillion edits every other second. And that just, I'm, I'm with you, man. That's I, I, something that drives I, I me nuts. I disagree with you on the baby driver thing. The baby driver thing. No, I get what they were doing. 
they were editing to the beat of the music, which in some cases meant way too many edits in a short period of time. But overall, I get what you're saying, but there were some because they were a slave to sticking with the beat of the song. So there were some of the car chases, like when they were trying to get away when with when Flea was in the car, and I'm like, okay, cut, cut. Cut, cut, cut. There's way too many cuts in this already. No, if it, it, it's like, it, this is ridiculous. But it flowed. The flow of it, the musicality of it worked. It was right on. So it was, it was easier to follow because it was the going along with the beat. And the thing was, they didn't do it all the time. It wasn't every single sequence. So some, some of them, they had songs that were, uh, slower beats per minute. So they kind of, you know, you, you had more length between the cuts. But, um, overall, I thought that it was just a terrific way. And it was a unique way of doing things instead of just, uh, here, we're just going to edit the hell out of the, the sequence and you're not going to see any, like the last Resident Evil. Like, I, I really think that, like, the movie in and of itself would have been at the very least on par with the other films. Now, whether or not you, if you don't like the other films, that's, you know, a whole other thing. The fact that they edited them so poorly and so different from the other films was insufferable. It made okay, them I, impossible to watch. I'm going to ask you this. Now, I haven't seen The Last Resident Evil. Is it worse than 13 Ghosts, which I think has the worst editing of a movie I've ever seen? Um, I have not seen 13 Ghosts in a very long time. I think it might because I don't remember 13 Ghosts. Like, it, this was a slideshow. Like, <laughs> like on, on rapid fire. It was horrendously bad. It's, it's one of the worst edited movies I've ever seen. Okay. And I just also want to note, I didn't really like Baby Driver. Didn't hate it. Didn't really like it. I thought, slight spoiler, John Hamm turns into a slasher movie villain in the third act and it got a little ridiculous. Ah, of course you wouldn't like it. You don't like nice things. <laughs> There's, there's nothing that bothers me more uh, in an action movie besides maybe CG muzzle flashes than quick cuts in a fight scene. To me, the whole point of watching an action film is seeing action, seeing uh, choreographed car chases, real explosions, guns shooting, people fighting, you know, holding the camera back a little bit and actually watching some choreography done by, you know, these masters of, of martial arts, which is what I miss so much about. You know, 60s and 70s and 80s and, and 90s uh, action movies where you, where you had guys like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or Seagal in his heyday or Van Damme or you know, guys like that. They could actually fight and they look great when they did it because they could actually talk to the choreographers and stage the shot in the right way and actually make a kick look great or a takedown look awesome. And there were barely little, if any, cuts usually, if anything, just to cut to another angle to make it look like a, a punch is really hitting a guy. With Iron Fist, the irony to that is you've got Daredevil, particularly season two, which has, you know, John Bernthal as Punisher fighting, I forget the actor who plays Daredevil, but they've got some great scenes together and some great fight scenes. Uh, notably in Daredevil season one, you got Daredevil's really long, uh, hallway fight. You've got Punisher's, uh, jail fight, which is in itself also a very long and drawn out narrow corridor fight with little to no actual edits. It's all choreography. And then you've got Iron Fist, which for some fucking reason it's, is all cuts. And as uh, Josh stated, it's more than likely because the on-screen actor can't actually do it. And I honestly think they should have immediately got somebody else because that doesn't hold up with the other two stars of this, you know, this, uh, I guess it is kind of an extended universe because you got Daredevil and you got Punisher. Even in Iron Fist, they undercut themselves. His Asian sidekick chick, her yeah. fights are not quick cuts like that. Why? Oh. She can actually fake fight. She can fight, yeah. 
fuck? I mean, that, there's no point. They should know that right off the bat. Like the screen tests, they should be able to see, oh, well, this guy's got the right look, but he obviously can't do what we need him to do because everybody else in these, uh, like in the chick playing Jessica Jones, guy playing Daredevil, Punisher, guy playing Luke Cage, they all look tough on screen. That's everything that they have in common with each other. If this guy can't do it, he doesn't belong in this franchise. Like there's no point. I have nothing against the guy. He's an all right actor. You know, he's pretty decent for the role, I think, in terms of looks. But in terms of physicality, he shouldn't be doing it. And I think that also extends to Hollywood needs to stop hiring pretty boys when they're wrong for the role. Boy, uh, not every pretty boy is going to be Swayze. You know, not not every pretty boy is going to be Van Damme. You know, you've got your exceptions of dudes that are great looking, but that could also kick your ass. Not every pretty boy is going to be like that, Shannon Tatum. It's not just that. They, they, they always want to go younger. We always want to go younger. Like, yeah. Like the, like the movie Sunshine. Okay, I wasn't a big fan of the movie anyway, and this is where I'm pretty sure Cecil and I are going to fight. There's a, line, <laughs> er, there's a line early on in the film that, you know, this is literally the life of the planet in their hands. And they say, these are the smartest scientists on Earth, and they're all under 30. <laughs> really? They're all under 30 and they're all pretty people. There's not one older scientist or anything like that. Not one marginally ugly kind of scientist. No, no, no. They're all young, pretty people. And that immediately yanked me out of the film that, yes, I can understand there may be some savants and stuff who are the best in their field of theoretical physics by the age of 30. Not the entire freaking cast. Yeah, you well, know what? That's uh, I think we, we could make that a, a pet peeve in and of itself. There really isn't that much... Um, I'm f- I don't want to use this word, but there really isn't that much diversity when it comes to actors anymore. There's no, like, weird-looking actors. There used to be a lot of them. There used to be a lot more, like, character actors, I think. But now everybody... Steve Buscemi and DJ Qualls are the exceptions. Yeah. Everybody just kind of looks like fucking Zac Efron now. Yeah, we don't get a, uh, we don't get like a, um, uh, yeah, we don't get like a DJ Qualls or quite as often as we used to, a Steve Buscemi who would like headline a picture, you know, and it, it, it actually, it bleeds over. This is something more that gets me into the, you know, just to, to touch on this briefly into the music industry. That's why music sucks now. It's cause yeah. like good looking people, they barely make it like go back and look at the seventies and stuff. They're a bunch of ugly people making <laughs> amazing <laughs> music. They're that are making great music. Yeah. yeah. God, look at Foreigner. Foreigner made some of the greatest love songs in history and there are a bunch of goblins like journey have you seen what steve perry they... looked like in the 80s yeah how steve perry with that gigantic nose uh you got you got um uh oh god what's his steven tyler oh, steven god. tyler, steven tyler looks like a lesbian grandmother steven tyler is ugly and you have my my wife's best friend like he's on like her it list like she's wow. like i you know she she wants to she doesn't care if he's a you know a great grandfather and it's like you only want to do him because of the fact that he is the lead singer of aerosmith if he was steven tyler the guy who worked at burger king you wouldn't even like you like you would be calling the police on him you know but <laughs> cause of the fact that he can sing a song really well then that you know works and same thing with uh, with a lot of the actors now yeah. And they're they're pay, they're taking these really attractive people. Now, every now and then, you do get somebody like Scott Atkins, who I think is a great, is a yeah. really good actor. He's an amazing martial artist, and god damn it, is he good looking. 
Yeah, so, he's kind of he kind of looks like uh, a martial arts version of Ben Affleck, pretty much. Yeah, he, well, I, yeah. I would even go back and say Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp is still a good looking dude, and yeah, I'm straight, and I just said that. Oh yeah, Johnny Depp's a really good looking dude, and that that's what killed me about um when uh when it, uh that uh um, what's her name was was divorcing him. She said she woke up one morning and she realized that she was having sex with uh this old guy who used to be oh. Johnny Depp, and I was like, Ooh. oh shut up. Now I can make the uh, joke I've been trying to make because you guys are talking about the ugly musicians and all I can really say is that uh, love does hurt if you look like the lead singer from Nazareth. But then along these same lines with Higher and Pretty Boys, this is something I've been seeing a lot. My mom watches a lot of cop shows and procedurals and all that, and I used to back in the 90s. And I've noticed it progressing more and more this direction since the late 90s is, especially in cop shows, when you've got the 22 to 24 year old actor playing a homicide detective and you go no you can't join the police force until you're 18 you need four years of college plus you need five to eight years of being a beat cop before you can even take the test to being a homicide detective the youngest homicide detective in american history was 33 years old so when i see the 22 year old on the wb going hi i'm here from homicide i go fuck off <laughs> no you're it, it not is- it is kind of a flip though, like, cause if you think about it, in like the 70s and 80s and like a lot of slasher films and stuff, we had the people like Leif Garrett, who's like 32, playing like either a, you know, a high school student. And like you had guys with widow's peaks that are like, oh, I'm 16. And it's like, no, you're not. The burning. The, oh yeah. The, you know, you've, you, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but he was kind of like the, the tough guy. Ah, uh, the One, bully. It, yeah, they they make a note how he's almost old enough to drive. So I'm like, okay, he's playing a 15-year-old. He looks 30. Yeah. He was 27. And I'm like, dude, but he looked halfway it, it took halfway through that movie before I realized he wasn't one of the counselors. Are they really those kids were really meant to be like like Jason Alexander and shit was meant to be like 15? Yes. God, yeah, I think he had Jason a, Alexander had a bald spot. Go and rewatch that movie. It's they so, are, they it's this so is a summer camp for teenagers. You know, Jason Alexander had such a great head of hair in that movie and all I can really say is that uh, the burning I think that's the the summer when George lost his smile. It's just you have to stop hiring pretty people when they're way too young for the role. You or, just have to. Or when they're worthless, when they can't actually contribute to the movie, when they can't – if it's an action movie and they can't actually kick any ass. I mean people can say what they want about guys like Ryan Gosling, for example. If you look at him in a movie like let's say Only God Forgives, that guy practiced – like kickboxing and Muay Thai and all sorts of really physical combat skill badass shit before he did that movie. I don't care how good looking you are. If you're going to be in a movie that demands physical activity, fucking do it. They usually give you time to either bulk up or learn how to do something. They they gave Chris Pratt, I think it was like eight, nine months to get all ripped for Guardians of the Galaxy. And he did it. Now, another one, and I do have to get into some spoilers for Wonder Woman here. Hollywood needs to stop casting the obvious bad guy as the bad guy. When I was watching Wonder Woman, and as soon as I saw that David Thewlis started to help the started to help the characters, I said, "He's a traitor." My girlfriend was like, "How do you know?" I said, "Because it's David Thewlis." <laughs> I mean, how many movies have we seen where you know Malcolm McDowell is on the cast and he looks like he's helping them and he betrays them and you just okay when you have certain actors that always play bad guys, you can't expect the dun 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 when they finally betray them. Stop casting the obvious bad guy as the surprise bad guy. Knock it off. 
In the case of that one, I saw it coming anyway. I think the movie's been out long enough anyway, but I, I knew, I knew that guy was going to be Aries from like the yeah. very well, beginning. For one, he's David Thewlis. Not and even two, it's that. telegraphed. Not even because of that. I just, I don't know. I saw it for some reason. Maybe it was because I remembered his face, but I saw it coming. Depends, because, I mean, to, to us, we might know, but I think a large portion of Wonder Woman's audience have never seen uh, him in a movie before. So for them, it was a complete shock. But, uh, I, you know, and it's it's kind of nice, too, where you'll have something where you'll have an obvious bad guy and then they end up actually being the good guy. Then it's a nice surprise. So uh, I think uh, that was a, you know, a nice uh, play against type with when you have a movie that does that. But yeah, I think uh, for the most part, they do just put actors in there. But they're, but they're, the thing is, it's really good being a bad guy. That's why they keep casting him as a bad guy. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a problem if they're the bad guy. It's a problem when they're supposed to be the surprise bad guy. But Kinda again, like when you, uh, if you do that with like, if you're trying to surprise anybody, let's like, let's say if you haven't already established that Michael Ironside is going to be the villain and you're trying to surprise people, it's not going to fucking work. Watchers. It's, it's yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's also like if you're watching a police procedural, a CSI or something like that, and there's a huge name guest star and they're one of the suspects, you're like, they're the killer. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have Eric Roberts guest star on CSI and then not have him be the killer. You just don't do that. Along those same lines, you also have the obvious bad guy that the uh, the characters can't see. Like, I was re-watching Anaconda the other day. Throughout the whole thing, I'm going, seriously, how did no one know John Voight was the bad guy? I mean, he acts like, like, like a sleazy bad guy the whole time, and they keep giving him the benefit of the doubt, because, you know, it may just be who he is. You see this so often where, as the audience, we're going, he's the obvious bad guy! And the <laughs> characters are like, well, I don't know, maybe this is why. Don't make your character stupid if you're going to make the bad guy obvious bad guy. I think in the case of Anaconda, it was just the movie was was silly and fun and it wasn't supposed to be taken that seriously. I mean, yeah, yeah, John Voight was if he had a mustache, he would have been twirling it. He was that (laughs) bad. They didn't think that he was going to start murdering them. They just kind of thought that he was a little bit crazy. And, uh, you know, so it uh, like and. I don't know. I'm kind of cool with that. There's other cases which are way worse than that. I mean, especially when you're trying to be serious. Anaconda wasn't trying to be serious. Anaconda was just trying to be a, a giant, uh, like, monster movie that yeah. also had a bad guy in it. And I also noticed something else. Now, this is completely unrelated to our topic, but Anaconda reminded me of something as I was rewatching it. What was it about the late 90s big-budget studio films where they would hire a well-known cult genre actor and kill them in the first five minutes, like Bruce Campbell in Congo, Danny Trejo in Anaconda. And I'm just like, that was a weird trope the late 90s had, didn't it? Was Danny Trejo even really known back then? At that point, By 97? Yeah, he'd he'd done all the Robert Rodriguez films. Danny Trejo was still a cult icon by 97. And, and, you know, he gets killed in, what, the first three minutes? Yeah, and you you don't even really see him. Like, you don't get a good look at him, really. And then Bruce Campbell at the beginning of Congo, he's killed, what, three, four minutes into that movie? (laughs) Yeah, that was a major bummer. Now, have you guys ever been watching a movie you're getting into... It's it's ridiculous. Maybe it's a comic book movie or something, and yet there's something that just pulls you out of the film that you go, you know what, I'm okay with people shooting lasers out of their eyes, but this pisses me off. Like, I was watching X-Men First Class. It takes place in the 60s. Kevin Bacon is on his submarine under the ocean in the, Antar- in, in the Antarctic, and he's getting television signals from New York. And I'm going, no, 
Just try getting television signals within parts of New York City in the 60s. Satellites, <laughs> they didn't have the satellites then. This was broadcast over the air, and you're getting this crystal clear in Antarctica from under the ocean? I, I don't know if it makes me a nitpicker, nitpicker, but that yanked me out of the mo- that yanked me out of the movie any more than people that can control magnets. You're being nitpicky on that, because it's like, okay, so you're okay with people that have mutant abilities, people that can manipulate uh, the world around them to, you know, you've got Magneto who can like, uh, you know, attract metal and do that, whatever, and you have people that can control time, but oh no, not radio signals underwater. I think, like, there are Across the world. eh, There are things that... New York City and Antarctica me. are kind of far away, Cecil. Yes, but again, within the within the realm of the who knows? Maybe in that world they figured it out. In that universe, right. they figured out how to send the signals all the way across the world back, you know, in in the sixties. I've always felt pretty uncomfortable when Captain America would perform Grand Theft Auto on the elderly. <laughs> He stole a little girl's bike, even. He certainly yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, getting taken out of the movie. It's like, hey, that's Captain America. Yeah, what's why, he do? Yeah. Why is he stealing that old man's car? That's f***ed up. I mean, he said he was sorry, but he still doesn't. <laughs> he still stole it. You know? <laughs> he, does, he does that, but like, t- three times. He really <laughs> did. <laughs> they were in Italy. It's the thing. Oh, yeah, it's a thing. Just steal somebody's sh- all right. Didn't if if I'm not mistaken, uh when he took the bike, didn't he just throw like a handful of money at them? Yeah, he yeah. just threw money at her. <laughs> just threw money at him. Here, here, peasant. Captain America oh. runs off with your shit. <laughs> so I want to end tonight talking about this is the thing that actually spurned all this. Why do you hire someone if you not only saddle them with incompetent people, but take the incompetent people's side in all of the, in all of the altercations? Frank Darbaugh co-created the Walking Dead TV show. He's one of the people that brought it to TV, made the changes from Robert Kirkman's comic and whatnot. He shepherded the entire first season. And he is now suing AMC for $280 million in back profits because he says they pulled a lot of scumbag moves. And just on a side note, AMC's lawyer is Donald Trump's personal lawyer, the same one who told the critic, I have your name and phone number, watch your back, bitches. Oh, wow. So if that tells you how, how the legal situation is going to keep going, to be cunts, AMC released a lot of his his belligerent emails to them and most of them are bitching about the incompetent people that they saddled him with who they will not fire and they will not allow him to fire i'm going to read a couple of these because they're freaking hilarious (laughs) guys and gals i'm in a real state of i'm in a state of absolutely boiling rage right now i just kept denise on the phone for 20 minutes making her listen to me scream i hope she conveys to you what the tenor of it was because you need to grasp my theory i have never been a screamer but i am now the work being done in this episode has turned me into one congratulations you all accomplished what i thought was impossible you've turned me into a raging asshole thanks a lot you fuckers Everybody, especially our directors, better wake the f*** up and pay attention or I will start killing people and throwing bodies out the door. By the way, I love that part. (laughs) (laughs) And then here's another one. F*** you all for giving me chest pains because of the 
the staggering f***ing incompetence, blindness to the important beats, and the beyond arrogant lack of regard for what is being, what is written being exhibited on set every day. I deserve better than a heart attack because people are too stupid to read a script and understand the words. Does anybody agree with me? Then join the C-cam operator and go find another job that doesn't involve deliberately f***ing up my show scene by scene. <laughs> Here's another one where he's bitching about writers that AMC would not let him fire. They hired these two writers who were terrible. Everyone on set, I mean, even even Andrew Lincoln has said, these people turned in terrible scripts that their ba had to heavily rewrite, but AMC would not let them fire this these two people. If it were up to me, I'd have not only fired Chick Eggles and, and Jack L- Logaitis when they handed me the worst season, the worst episode three script imaginable. I'd have hunted them down and f***ing killed them with a brick, then gone down and burned down their homes. I haven't even spoken with these worthless, talentless, hack sons of bitches since their third draft was found in after five months of all their big talk and promises that they dig deep and have my back covered. They didn't have my back. They ran knives into it. Oh, Professional fuck. courtesy is something one earns, and these do Douchebags have not earned mine. I don't want to see them CC done anything anymore. They renounced that privilege by not even trying to live up to their job descriptions, by instead leaving me dangling in the wind like a hanged man. Calling their 103 phoned in would be vastly overstated because they were too busy wasting my time and your money to bother picking up to bick to picking the damn phone up. These fucking overpaid con artists. Yeah. And then he's got many he's got many more of these talking about how despite his direct orders not to shoot shaky cam. Some of the directors, again, hired by AMC that, that he would, that they would not let him fire are shooting shaky cam. He claims that, that, that the scenes are completely uneditable and they're garbage. For instance, here's another one, quote, Shane being chased by zombies on the parkway and being rescued by the RV is a major element we must reshoot. Seeing these dailies today left me gobsmacked and thinking I should fake my own death, leave town and live under an assumed name. There are some shots we can use from Gwen's footage, but only shots. Right now, the sequence does not exist. Reshooting this along with everything else is something we have to plan for, and I haven't even vetted the goat farm stuff yet, but I can, but I can safely bet you a million dollars there are major problems there too. Denise, I'm putting my anger and disappointment at Gwyneth aside when I say this. I promise I'm not being hyperbolic. And then he goes into a, a whole uh, a backstory, which I won't go into here. I am honest to God wondering if Gwyneth hasn't experienced a stroke. That's how fundamentally f- this footage is. It's as if she totally lost her grasp of what to do. It's like we yanked some kid with no experience out of high school and put her in charge of directing a show. And what's really weird is she doesn't even seem to know this, unquote. Do you see the tenor I'm getting to here? Why would you hire Frank Darbaugh and saddle him with amateurs through and through and then go, you're just not delivering, Frank. Sorry. Because in Hollywood, you fail upwards. Like, that's you had somebody like Darbaugh who has earned the rights, but then you have other people who, whether through nepotism or whatever reason why they brought these people in, they saddle them with somebody who is greatly more experienced, and then they're bringing him down while simultaneously elevating themselves. Because then what happens? They ended up firing Durabont, and then they gave these guys, uh, you know, bigger roles as showrunners. And it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. It's really, uh, it's, it's sad and it's a shame. And it's one of the reasons why we're getting more and more garbage out there is because they're just pumping out trash. They're hiring, uh, the wrong people and they're giving very talented people the boot. A couple other things I had that movies still continually do is you've got to stop making terrible people the hero in your movie. Now, this is maybe has changed since I was a kid, but like I recently re- rewatched Stripes. John Winger is an asshole. 
He commits treason, he commits theft, and he's rewarded for it. He literally betrays the United States Army and accidentally sells them out to a foreign government and then is considered a hero because he ends up fixing his own mistake. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not sending a good message. (laughs) And and you see this all the time where, you know, the guy who won't play by the rules. Like, my girlfriend just made me watch Triple X Return of Xander Cage the other day. A just (laughs) thoroughly, unpleasantly horrible movie. Oh, come on. That movie was a delight. It was so... It was terrible. It was stupid. It was supposed to be. It was hilarious. But... it, it falls into so many tropes that Hollywood loves to do. Not one of the actual trained Green Berets or military people or anything, they're all incompetent. But all these, these, these people that are on tweet, that are tweaking and, you know, that, oh, you can only get the job done because I don't have rules I gotta follow, man. You know, it, it's like the 80s thing. The only way the cop can solve the case is by ignoring the rules. Yeah, you know what that's called? A mistrial. It you was... know what it's called? You, you know what it's called when the rebels don't follow the rules in a war zone? A war crime. It was, that was the joke. That was the whole point of it. They were parodying the the don't play by the rules. Did I, you miss- I did not get parody. That movie was played straight. Did man. you? But the, did you not get when he was riding skis down the side of a rocky mountain and like all also they could get also they could get the soccer game on a boat. Like, did you not get how it was absolutely positively intentionally ridiculous? Ridiculous does not okay bad screenwriting. It was supposed to be i think you you went in with the wrong mindset the movie was like i was initially i went in because the thing was it was playing like the first movie they tried to do it a little bit more uh you know oh here's the james bond that doesn't play by the rules and then they tried to do it a little different with the second one but then they just said you know what let's just go completely balls out ridiculous and they did it they rode motorcycles on the ocean and come to think of it, Danny Trejo got disposed of pretty quick in that first movie too. To go back to what I was saying before, and in uh, and in Predators, Predators about the first uh, first ten minutes, twenty minutes maybe. No, yeah. uh, he was about twenty minutes maybe. But it's the beginning. I, I just I really like Danny Trejo, and I think the guy needs a bigger break than to always be the guy that gets killed in the first reel. Well, he, I don't I don't know. Did machete. you was was Machete really all that worth it? I think so. First one was. I didn't think so. Second one wasn't, but the first one was. Not really interested. I didn't really care much for the first one. Um, just, uh, the trailers kind of say it all for me. Uh, extreme sports, badasses, I, I live for this shit, uh, da, da, da. I don't care. Uh, I don't really care too much. It's very edgelordy and I don't give a shit. I don't care if it's meant to be satirical or what. I'm not entirely interested, but I do get where you're coming from on the whole making, I guess, the, the asshole, uh, the hero. And now this can work. Like, if you take a movie like American Psycho or Miss 45 or even Nightcrawler, and it's kind of the villain is the main focus of the movie. It's like a a character study kind of thing. But to me, it's weird when people are rooting for a character that kind of is a villain but isn't portrayed to be. Like, I've always seen uh, Ferris Bueller as a complete sociopath. I never understood why people thought this guy was cool. Like, he's a he's a total piece of shit. But they kind of made him the hero of the movie and everybody kind of roots for him and stuff. And I never really, I never personally understood that. Maybe this is just because I grew up. But like when you watch a Porky's movie, all I see is, wow, that's a lot of sexual assault. When I was a kid, I was going, yeah, get him. Yeah, buck the system. You know, like Animal House. Do you realize how many felonies they commit, including pedophilia and statutory rape and just straight up (laughs) rape in that movie? And they're the ones we're supposed to get behind because, yeah, buck the system, yeah! 
And it's like, did I just get old or were these movies always terrible and I just didn't notice? Is a different time. You're looking yeah. at things like that's that's one of the things that really, really drives me nuts with things today. We're looking through things from the lens of 2017 and this is not OK. And it's like, well, you know what? You're you're looking at things the wrong way. It's like these like, OK, I'm not saying that uh, it was that certain things were right, but I'm simply saying that things were made under a different time. There's a reason why people keep saying things like you couldn't make a movie like Blazing Saddles today it's because it's a different time things are looked at differently things are are held from a different perspective and so you have to look at it from okay this is what was made at the time this is how things were and i'm sure 20 30 years from now there'll be movies today where people are like oh my god i can't believe they did that that's so awful or that didn't have this in it or this or that had this in it so when you're looking at stuff like that you just kind of need to remind yourself that uh what time frame it was made i mean it's it's ridiculous with that i'm okay with that cecil with 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 the time frame i just kind of go ooh, that's a little cringy now like i I went to the 40th anniversary screening of smoking and the bandit about a month or one or so ago or whatever i covered it for forces of geek and near the beginning when they're at the auto show one of the rednecks grabs the announcer girl and just kisses her and she has to push him off and i go hey look at that sexual assault played for comedy and then i went (laughs) oh my god i got old I used to think that was funny. Now I'm going, that's sexual assault. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's also, look at, it's also number one movie. Number two, like, don't be so sensitive. It's like, just, I mean, oh, I, I, wasn't, sensual, was, I wasn't triggered. I just kind of in my brain went, wow, I got old. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of able to, to separate it, uh, to a, to a certain degree. I think like, you know, in, in reality, would that be right? No, that would not be right. In the movie, fine. You know, the, the actress got paid her dues. Uh, you know, the actor got paid. Like nobody was hurt. Like that's one of the things that drives me nuts today. Well, they'd be like, well, can you believe how many women were, were murdered in this or how many men were killed? And it's like, no, nobody died. Nobody was actually injured. A bunch of people went in. They did a job. They got paid and then they went and they did another job where they got paid. So it's just, it, I, I just, I just can't stand the, this, uh, this current status that we're in where people are just throwing a fit over things that aren't real another thing that i think movies have to just quit today they just need to stop is when did color become the enemy of mainstream films i'm sick of movies that are all washed i kind of blame saw for this that was the first one that hit big that was like this i'm sick of movies being washed out color should not be the enemy of a film I can't even count how many movies come out today that, that are so color corrected in post. Like, I just reviewed two, two movies for Forces of Geek, and they were the polar opposite, both in quality and in color palette. I just reviewed Alien Reign of Man, which is washed out. I mean, it's, it's almost a black and white film. It is so washed out. And yet, it was ugly. And I could not get into it because of how ugly it was. And then on the other hand, I just watched the really unique zombie film, which my review is embargoed for another few weeks. It stains the sands red, which is just popping with colors, bright, vibrant colors and neons and the use of color to tell a story. Why is that the minority now? When did color become the enemy of film? I don't know, style over substance. I mean, I can't just blame the Saw movies either. You gotta, kinda gotta blame David Fincher a little bit too. I mean, remember, uh, remember Seven? 
how washed out that movie was. It became kind of trendy to make your movies look like that, you know, to make your movies look, uh, have that fight club aesthetic. And then Zack Snyder kind of started to get big. I mean, his movies started out pretty colorful and I don't think they're as washed out as people want to say they are. But yeah, Saw kind of came out and that one had a, uh, it was, I wouldn't even say colorless, but they had a way of using the saturation and coloring it in posts, like adding, uh, instead of actually making something neon or adding a certain color to a scene, they would make it really green in post or really blue or really red. You gotta blame the Matrix a little bit for that too, like everything looking kind of this washed out green color. It's, it's to do with, uh, these things becoming trends in film and unfortunately it got pretty overblown because you've got a lot of big block big big uh blockbuster movies look like they were put through the ringer like there's no color left left from them at all they've uh obviously been in the washer for too goddamn long and i miss that i miss color like i think certain movies do work with kind of a uh, sort of washed out look like, uh, say the crow or even seven or, or movies like that. Movies that are kind of meant to be bleak, but I feel like even the ones that are meant to be bleak now, a lot of them anyway, it, there's, it's, it's like, it's almost, it almost has that like grayscale look to it just cause it's, it's trying to look like dark and stuff instead of being shot in a certain way, which is a lot of the way that the movies of the, the nineties and earlier two thousands were done as opposed to using a lot of post. I think also it comes down to a lack of filmmaking skill. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot easier to shoot a movie with flat color and then change it in post than to actually do in-camera color and you know how it's going to look. Yeah, or to even just shoot a movie and like kind of ape another director like, oh, this is popular now so I'm going to make my movie look all gray and washed out too because that looks easy to do and then it, it always looks like a carbon copy, like a bad copy of it. Um, I'm, I'm sick of uh, filmmakers doing that just because it's, you know, this movie did well and this movie was received well and people liked the way that looked. My movie should look like that too. Bullshit. And to all you people making cyberpunk movies, cyberpunk should not be washed out. It should be a wash in color. There's all these neon signs and the and the lighting. Go back and rewatch Blade Runner. You might not notice it at first, but Ridley Scott chose the color palettes very carefully. You'll notice whenever a scene's very dark, it's surrounded by reds or browns to offset that dark. And that's what, just judging by the trailers, the new Blade Runner seems to be doing. It seems like it's full of color. Yeah, real color. And then you have, then you have, and then, and then you have like the Matrix where it's all washed out. And I'm like, do I have cataracts? (laughs) The new Blade Runner is definitely playing to that. Just like the, cause in the original Blade Runner, that color was all in film. It was lighting. They were signs. The scenes were lit a certain way using, you know, gel caps and stuff like that. And the new movie did that too. It's it's the direct difference between something like Ghost in the Shell or even Valerian where everything just looks CG. And I can't stand that. I want my color, if if possible, mostly in film because it always, always looks better. Yeah, because Ghost in the Shell is the one I was thinking of where it's clearly trying to emulate Blade Runner. Yeah. But it's all – I mean you've got all these neon signs, but they're not bringing any color into the scene. Exactly. Just How do you accomplish – it's almost like you screwed that up, you know? It just defeats its own purpose, absolutely. It's like overcooking a steak. The company I used to work for, um, we used to use a lot of uh, 
garbage. <laughs> there was a uh, a system we had. Uh, it was a series of filters called uh, Red Giant Magic Bullet. And a lot of studios use this because it gives them the Hollywood look. And essentially what it is is a series of filters, and it automatically will color correct whatever scene. You just basically, you know, apply it to the timeline, blammo. And it's and they were filed, we had them filed uh, under, it's like action sequence, you know, horror or whatever. And it was like, it was all right, action sequence, all right, it would blur, you know, do this. Uh, horror. I, I actually would, have he, some of those filters in my editor, too. I don't use them, but I, but they're there. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is, but I mean, this was like pro gear. This is what a lot of, uh, they use it more on TV shows and a lot of like smaller budgeted movies. And the thing is, they've kind of tricked people into thinking that it's necessary. And with, with something like Saw, like I don't blame Saw for the rise of it because of the fact that it's like that was a look that they were specifically going for. They wanted the film to take place in this world where it was very bleak and very washed out and very gray, ugly. And that was what they were going for and that's what they achieved and then you had other uh you know movies that came along that were aping that and i have more of an issue with the with the teal and orange spectrum yeah where everybody looks like an oompa loompa because they've got the orange pushed so high and it's it just it's irritating i mean it started the only one who can make that work is michael bay it, michael bay makes that work oddly enough michael yeah. bay can make that work but then that's the thing everybody's kind of aping him so then we have everybody who doesn't know what they're doing and they kind of push the colors in the wrong direction and i think that color correction there there should be some sort of color correction in films it is absolutely positively necessary you but you need it to draw out the colors you need it to bring things forward but instead they're using it to mute certain colors or to give it a certain you know certain look and it ends up looking like every other thing. Like there are so many movies that you look at them and because the camera angles and everything are so bland because of the fact that there is no color and because of the fact that they do 80 bazillion edits, you can't tell the difference. Like if you were to show uh, in the old days, if you were to show like Spielberg and Dante and uh, all these different directors, you'd be able to be like, okay, this, that's this director, that's this director, or that's this director doing in, in the style of this director. But yeah. Now you would show a bunch of the top tier directors that are getting work right now. And you're like, I have no idea. Like, was this all shot by the same they person? They all look the same. They all look the same. So it's insufferable. You, but you also have sometimes when color or lack thereof is a specific stylistic choice, it can be a career changer. Look at Miami Vice, the TV show. Michael Mann had a dictate, no earth tones. Go back and watch that show. There's almost no browns or reds. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all almost pastel. none. And it gave that it gave that show a, a look that was thoroughly unique amongst anything else on TV at the time. Yeah, that's one so, of the reasons too why it's still remembered. People go back and look at it and they're like, "Holy crap! Like, look at how good this looks." And God, go back and look at something like Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island had color. Well, not in the first season. In the first season well, was black and white. That's a, yeah, not not in the first season, but I'm saying in the uh, you know in the later seasons in the color episodes, when they went to yeah. color. But I mean, it actually like you know Gilligan's like red shirt and like it just uh, everything like popped. It actually like looks it looks good, and it's just sad that you know you can go back and look at that and see like a more pronounced uh, you know, colors in that than you can in the majority of films and TV that are coming out today. 
which is why when the movie comes out, I I do recommend checking out It Stains the Sands Red, which is a very unique take on a zombie movie, and it had a couple of things in it I was kind of surprised I'd never seen in a zombie movie before. Just the way the director uses color in that is is fantastic. It shouldn't surprise you, Cecil. It's by the same guy that did Extraterrestrial. Oh! Is, yeah, uh, is, so, is what's his name? Uh, is Michael Ironside in it? Actually, this is almost a, a, a two-man movie there are other actors in it but there's really only two characters and no it's not michael iron i really wanted it says this is a zombie apocalypse if michael ironside showed up as a crazy ufo spewing pot farmer with a shotgun i would have been ecstatic <laughs> <laughs> just reprising his role yeah extraterrestrial showed a lot of promise like i thought that it was uh i i he, he used a lot of color though too oh the colors like, the, 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 the way the way the red the red probe is going through the house mm-hmm. and you can just see all the red lights coming through the slats in the door and in the floor and all that he used color directors need to stop being afraid of color and the reveal of the alien for the first time i nearly shit my pants the one at the door oh my god was that perfect all of a sudden it's revealed by the lightning strike yeah oh my god the the, that shivers up my spine when that happens shivers now thinking about it that was so good is so underappreciated, man. Just really, really good movie. What's that one called? Extraterrestrial? Extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial. Michael, M- Michael Ironside is a crazy conspiracy theorist, pot farming militant who knows about aliens. Okay. It's one of those roles where you go, man, Brad Dourif must have been busy this week. Oh, <laughs> really? I gotta... I gotta... Am I wrong, Cecil? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. He must have been, oh, well, all right. Uh, dot, you know, speed dial. All right. Brad Dourif. <laughs> now I'm working on uh, the new Chucky movie. Michael Ironside, what you doing <laughs> on that note it's just more of things that piss us off about movies hollywood you need to stop doing this stuff but what you don't need to do is stop looking at peter's stuff you need to start looking at peter's work where can people see peter do this you can see me on uh on youtube uh the cinemasticist i've actually got three new videos out all this week go check them out there's going to be another one i just got a new computer so i should be editing some more stuff you can also find me on Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasticist. You can find me on 1201beyond.com, where I've got some merch, some t-shirts and stuff. And going with the theme of this episode, if you want to see a movie that doesn't have any typical Hollywood tropes in it whatsoever, and you want to see something that's got a lot of cool color in it, check out, uh, I believe you pronounce the guy's name, Panos Cosmatos movie, Beyond the Black Rainbow. It's uh wonderfully weird. And Cecil... People are probably going to be quitting you soon enough. They'll find out you're just a bag of hot air. But where can they find you for now? What is all the negativity towards me? <laughs> what I do? Because it's fun. Because it's fun. Oh, stop. And, and, and you can't break me in half like Peter can. Uh, no, I couldn't break you in half. <laughs> I'll I, help I could, I could definitely outrun you. Uh, you can find me at uh, goodbadflicks.com uh, as well as goodbadflicks on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. I was just giving you crap. Relax. Well, if you guys want, you can find me at 1201beyond.com, and you can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Is this a joke? There must be some mistake. Am I on candid camera? Am I even awake? Fuck me!
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.